So welcome to Inspiration and Isolation, a weekly conversation with Alaska artists about weathering isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic and what strategies and perspectives artists offer to manage this time. I'm Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Bunnell Street Art Center in Homer, Alaska. I've lived here since infancy as a long-term guest on this land, a borderland of the Denina and Supiak people. Today, I'm upstairs at the apartment above Bunnell, looking out at this beautiful beach on a very low tide. Settlers began calling it Bishop's Beach about 70 years ago, but its name is Tuga by the indigenous people since time immemorial. With me today are Amber Webb and Emily Johnson. And immediately after I introduce each of them, I want to ask them to acknowledge where they're calling from. And if you'd like to please offer a land acknowledgement. Amber, Amber Webb is an artist and activist from Dillingham. She's of Yupik and Unalgan heritage. An individual artist award recipient from Rasmussen Foundation, Amber explores pictorial Yupik storytelling to tell contemporary stories of oppression and resilience. Emily Johnson is an artist who makes body-based work, a Bessie award-winning choreographer and a 2015 Guggenheim Fellow in Choreography. Emily's based in New York. She was raised in Soldotna, Alaska, and she is of Yupik descent. Amber and Emily, shall we just begin by acknowledging where you're each calling from? Emily, would you like to start us out? Sure. Um, hi, everybody. Um, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you, Rika. Um, I grew up on Denina and Kanaitsi land up in Alaska. And I live now in the Napeho King on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And, um, and yesterday, um, uh, here actually marked, um, I don't know what the right word is, anniversary isn't quite the right tone, but it's yesterday marked the um, 255th. Uh, anniversary of the day that the then governor of Pennsylvania uh, publicly declared a scalp bounty on the Nape and Shawnee, Shawnee um, men, women, and children. And I didn't know that yesterday. I was on my one walk of the day and I was very uh, emotional. And uh, I was very, I, I went to the river this area of the river and that nobody goes to and I feel like I can breathe really well there and so I started to dance a little bit just by the river and I got very overwhelmed with sadness and grief which um, I realize now because I was telling my friend Joe Whittle who comes from people who were forcibly removed from here I was telling him about this experience and he told me what yesterday was what yesterday marked and so I came to understand my grief yesterday as a mix. Certainly it's a grief of what we're all in the world experiencing now, what Lenape Hoking is experiencing now, what people are experiencing due to this virus, but I think it was also a mix of what the grief that was experienced 255 years ago on that day and from days before that and days since. And I guess I, I think that, I think of that grief as being related and and I know as an extended acknowledgement um, 
to hear, I think about the way in which um, this virus we're all uh, dealing with right now, how it attacks lungs and how grief is held in the lungs and how we as, as indigenous people and we as I think all people have been holding grief for so long and how to really heal and transform, we have to tend to that grief individually and also collectively. And then I think from that tending to that grief, like think of the brave actions that we can take to truly transform. Because all of this grief comes from colonialism and capitalism. And so the very things that the virus is, 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 uh, is, is revealing, the major inequities and injustices and inequalities that that not only come from capitalism and colonialism but that that they feed one another um, that 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 those rampant injustices are are where we need to bring our grief to like we need to tend to that grief and then we need to act with and from that grief into good action. And I, I guess I, I'm very thankful for that lesson that I got from Lenape Hoking and Lenape ancestors. Um, and Lenape, my friend Joe, <laughs> yesterday. Thank you so much. Amber, could you share with us a little bit about um, where you are and acknowledging the land where you are? Um, so I'm calling from uh, Dillingham, Alaska. I'm calling from an area right near Kanakanak, um, which was the spot where they built the first hospital here. Um, and that hospital was built um, in 1919 or maybe 1920 following the Spanish flu pandemic. So um, I'm here um, calling from the place where three generations of my family have lived. Uh, and prior to that, we lived in a place called Kulukuk between uh, Togiak and Dillingham along the uh, along the coast and that community ceased to exist during the last um, pandemic that affected this area so um, I think and and interestingly uh, talking about anniversaries this last year was the hundred year anniversary of that pandemic so um, that's where I'm calling from, but I think I was thinking kind of similarly that I'm seeing how um, internalized colonization, that that internalized oppression is shaping how um, 
the people here now are responding to this current pandemic and this current crisis. And I feel like uh, dealing with some of that grief and some of the um, high rates of stress from other social issues that have resulted from colonization and capitalism is really coming to the forefront here because people, it's preventing people from uh, being good leaders and making quick decisions. And that's, uh, so that's exactly where I'm at too. Um, a very similar place where right now I feel like, especially working at a hospital, we, we don't have time to wait for our leadership to heal. So a lot of us are becoming very vocal um, and really saying, having to educate other people about that history because a lot of people here, they have a blood memory of that history, but they don't understand how it's playing out in their lives right now. Um, and I think a lot of people here are having um, like uh, trauma responses to this situation from that blood memory and they don't quite understand what's happening. So a lot of my work right now is trying to figure out how to use art to say those things in a way that's maybe going to bring that up for people where they can actually do some of that healing work um, maybe in a more cathartic way than, um, than in a lot of the things that are already happening are so traumatic too. So like, how, how do we, how can we use our art to speak about that? You know, so that's kind of where I'm calling from. <laughs> Oh, and I'm in my car outside my office. Right, right. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really deeply interested in exploring a little bit more about what each of you have talked about. But I, I kind of want to step back a little bit and talk about what your artistic focus has been in the last year or so. Because you are each in a very powerful kind of groove, doing um, some some work with certain themes that. Um, may or may not be related to exactly what we're going through right now, but I'd like you to talk about what you have been doing as a, a sort of by way of orientation to who you each are as artists and kind of where it puts you when the, um, you know, pandemic kind of hit. So, um, Emily, let's start with what you've been doing in the past year, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Um. I was thinking about that this morning and it actually is really hard for me to be, I know I'm going to get shaky in the voice a few times through this, but um, it's just how it is. Um, it's really hard for me to, to be anywhere but right here right now. And it was really hard for me to think back even, I mean, let alone two weeks, but further back, you know, and I mean, I know where my work is rooted, but what I really see right now is that where where my work has rooted with which is with people with with communities of people with strong indigenous-led leaderships with um, communities of people working with food sovereignty and land rematriation and, um, it's like these relationships are really are really wrong right now and 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 i'm just i'm like fern renville and roger fernandez in seattle who I met when we did shore there in 2015, 
uh, are doing, you know, stories every day on Facebook together. And I know them because of the work that I did in Seattle that they were part of back then. And so seeing that, that the, those, I think the roots of some of the larger scale social projects that I've done are, 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 are still connected in really beautiful ways has been really, um, has been really, really helpful right now. Um, and I guess I just, in general, think of my work as connecting people. And obviously, usually that's in a physical form. And it's dance based. And to me, that means everything story and dance and food and gathering. And so right now, it's just been seeing how how can I, how can I still do that work while we are in this separated moment? Um, how can I do that work differently? How can I think about that differently? Um, my dear colleague Karen Recolet and I get together and we write almost every day and we're really thinking about this in-between space, this in-between us physically now, also this in-between space of time. What are the possibilities in this space? And also how do we, um, along with her and some other friends, Dylan Robinson, Stolo artist and Camille Usher, Co-Salish artist, we get together and we talk about gathering still. Like, all right, what is, what is it? What does it mean? What will it mean? How do we not, um, how do we not uh, retract from this very essential and elemental thing that we need to be engaged in? Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you. And Amber, what have you been, what have you been making this past year? What's been your artistic focus? So, uh, for the past two years, I've been working uh, primarily uh, on two different sort of lines of artwork. One is the Kasbuk project, which is focused on sort of uh, collective healing or, and awareness around murdered and missing Indigenous women all over the world. Um, and really understanding kind of the mechanisms of that and and honoring you know the, the collective struggle of that um and then the, the other sort of line of of art that's sort of been developing is trying to create a language using some of the old symbolism and the old ways of of doing these kind of um, graphic, decorative uh, story pictures um, used to be used to just kind of like casually um, and trying to use those mechanisms to create a language that can then tell contemporary stories that like some of the things that we don't have symbols for that we never had symbols for because the things that we've experienced in the last 200 years didn't exist before. Um, so that's kind of where I've been at, but um, it's kind of, it's all kind of the same work because I think working from this fundamental idea that art is about connection, um, and building capacity for connection. Um, because I feel like 
what capitalism in particular and what uh, colonization does is it uh, creates disconnection. So I think as artists and as human beings, anything that we're doing to foster authentic connections with each other really is going to be the most um, strong way to fight that. So that's, I kind of been trying to figure out how to do work that can illustrate how we're all connected as a way to fight this violence that a lot of us are experiencing on a daily basis um, because I think poverty is violent and I think oppression is violent and so um, yeah so <laughs> that's trying to use art to fight that I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amber the I Everyone who, anyone who doesn't know Amber's work, look, look at it. Um, and uh, because there's so much, it's so, um, Amber, I love the way, in, and you talked about it just now, like somehow, somehow finding images for, for, for things that we don't necessarily have words for. And I think that's so vital and so important. And, and, and like when I see your, when I see your work, it goes in and through and beyond into something else, which is what transformation is, which is what this moment needs. And I, so I really appreciate um, so deeply your work and, and what it, how it teaches people to look deeper or to be, to be through something in a deeper way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And Emily, yeah, yeah. Emily, your work does the same thing. And not too long ago when you were at Benel in residence working on um, your own creation story, the project, Being Future Being, um, it's really resonating for me because of that, that similar transformational impact of hearing your storytelling and specifically what the story is about. I wonder, because that story speaks to your maternal ancestor and her arrival to mainland Alaska from Nelson Island because of pandemic, if you, escaping pandemic, if you could orient us a little bit to that, that, that project and um, its, its sort of remarkable um, <laughs> timeliness. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for, for many years, I... I work with a process that gathers people together to vision a better future and in, in, in many different forms. And, and I love that process. I love talking with people about what they vision they want. And starting at some point last year, I, I kind of felt, I felt like, okay, enough with the visioning. I want that better future now. <laughs> And, and I guess, and it started on the path of creating this work that called Being Future Being, you're speaking of, where I think that like, we need to be in a future that is better than the one that we've been taught to envision. And how do we do that? I don't know. But the only way that I know how to research how to get somewhere is through making dance work. Um, and so I wanted to start making this piece. And 
my first residency was at Benel, where Asia is um, director, and just above that beach and on that water. And earlier in the year, I had been in Quinnahawk, which Amber and I were speaking of, I think, before you all logged on here. Um, and Quinnahawk is up on the Bering Sea. And I know this story of my great-great-great-grandmother, Kumiak, who gave birth to my great-great-grandma, Annan, in a kayak from Nelson Island to the mainland. And it was only recently that um, Stephen Blanchett, who anyone from Alaska would know, uh, helped me to understand and realize um, why she gave birth in a kayak instead of on ground. Um, and while I don't know the particulars of her story uh, yet, or maybe never will, uh, I know that she wasn't uh, going on a boat ride or a fishing trip. She had to leave. And I guess the story that, it, that came to me when I was at Benel was just thinking about thinking about truly honestly she gave birth to me she gave birth to me and all of my cousins and all of my grandmas from her forward because she had the 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 the, the strength to do that on that trip uh, on the sea how did she even do that how did she not tip over how did she, and i started to think about who or what creatures were supporting her from underneath by looking up at the bottom of her kayak and helping her through that labor pain through what your body needs to rock and move and able to give birth and i just um yeah i've been thinking of that story wrote that story just a few months ago i started to write it a few months ago and of course it's very very present in my in my mind and, and thoughts now. Thank you for asking. Yeah, absolutely. And Amber, you've talked about how Emily's stories and her capacity to, um, to find those stories has fueled your work. You mentioned that the Blackfish story had kind of fed directly into some recent creations. Can you talk a little bit about that, this interesting kind of creative dialogue? Well, I think that the story, I, I was so grateful that uh, you sent me that story, Emily, because um, I had been thinking a lot about um, all of those things that we carry, um, carry forward in our bodies. And I, I felt like there was a piece kind of falling right in line with that. And then my, uh, well, my toddler decided to edit edit the piece, so I have to start over, but it'll be okay. Um, and I was planning to have something done to show you today, but um, I ended up making like 40 masks, cloth masks for people here instead, which, you know, I'll get to the other piece, but um, I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting that you tell that story about your grandmother giving... Um, birth in a kayak because one of the stories in my family is um when my grandpa's mom was giving birth to him she was in labor and they were trying to go to uh Kanakanak hospital the hospital i now work at and if you understand you probably can't see it on a map but if you go from clark's point you have to go up up and across and so they got about halfway there to Queen Slough and she gave birth to him on that dog sled um, 
and I think she probably was about 17 years old um, and that was her second baby and uh, <laughs> I've thought the same thing over the years like how did she do that but you know it's thinking about that whole concept of how blackfish can like almost like they're laying dormant but there's still life there i think right now where we're at we're at this really powerful time of cultural revival um and i know all of the things that we used to know that sometimes it feels like we've lost I know that they're all still there because I feel them. And one of the places, interestingly enough, um, I lived in Kisila for quite a while, um, the last five years and just recently moved home. But when I would go out on the tundra and go uh, like pick cranberries out in Kisilov, one of the things that like that I could feel being in that space, um, and picking those berries, it was almost like I could feel the tundra sigh. Like it was almost audible. Just it was like this feeling of relief. And and I could remember then my grandma telling me, um, the the land is happy when you pick the berries. Like we have to go pick the berries because it makes the land happy. And if we don't go pick them, then they won't be as plentiful next year. And that all of that knowledge that we had is in those spaces that we inhabit in that land that we're connected to um and i feel like that sort of reiterates how important it is to acknowledge the land that you're on because and it's so funny because i haven't heard that many people talk about going to a place and really feeling out the energy and feeling the history of the place like you have but um i feel like we can do that everywhere we go and that's a part of the collective healing that we can experience as human beings is just as you walk through the world acknowledging um the history of places because it is carried in in the ground the ground carries that that history um i, I kind of got lost but no, I just, just during, I mean, maybe it's the, you know, being in this tiny apartment and, or maybe it's just neat. I, I've been craving, like getting on my hands and my knees on the ground here. And it's, it's, you cannot do it now, right now. That's what I've, I've been, I've been needing to do that. And so sometimes I just do that in my apartment and I think down the four floors down to the ground below to try to have my hands and my knees on and in the ground here i'm somehow like needing that that very um physical relationship here and i just kind of as an i just i just tend i tend to that because it comes in as like something that i need to to try to do and i don't really question why but i think what you just what you just described is part of it yeah i was i just think a lot about how you know you both have um a cultural background and a practice of connecting to the land through your work 
and um, that you know that is the there's something that you each have been saying about the creation and perpetuation of culture through that work that innovation and enlivenment of culture through that work um, Emily you've been taking that work you know around the country really and then the notion of the homeland is really taking a kind of interesting transcendence through your work um, and I know that even right now you know you've you've been um, posting some really interesting important um, opportunities to gather with fire for example Can you talk a little bit about those kinds of connections you're making in the community that you're building wherever you are yeah um, I think two two things come to mind right now and and one is one is this fire um, so I've been hosting a fire on the Lower East Side for a few years now, mostly every month, though sometimes it goes into a rest period. And of course, those are times where usually the fire is built and people gather to the fire and the fire does the work that it does when people gather to it. And they've been these beautiful indigenous-led welcoming open to everyone spaces. And um, as part of holding those fires, um, Karen Reckley, who I've already mentioned, we, we write about that project. And she's in uh, Toronto, Toronto, and um, she hasn't been able to physically be there at the fire, but, but, but we, we collaborate on, on those fires. And we've written a lot about the, uh, she, she is generating and conceptualizing this word kinstillatory, so the ways in which uh, we build we build networks of kin uh, beyond our human relations to also other relations to fire to trees to all other creatures to also to constellations to atmospheres to ground to the water and um, and so we, we we write a lot about kinsolatory and we we hold these fires in a kinsolatory manner and and I recognize that space as so important and when um, a month ago, when already we couldn't hold that fire in a public space, I went. I I just went there and held a candle, because I just knew I had to keep holding that space somehow. And just in case somebody came, it was right at the beginning when when we weren't we were just starting to not be allowed, but it wasn't really official and nobody was really sure. So I just had to be there in case somebody came, or had questions, or 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 was af afraid and and or or feeling anything and and. And I guess I, through this last month and in speaking with Karen and in talking with folks about gathering and thinking about this, we've decided to hold the fire tonight. It was supposed to be the next public one, but so we're asking and we've just asked people to hold a, hold, hold a fire, uh, hold a candle uh, where you are and at 8 p.m. Eastern time um, for as long as you want. And in that, I think we're thinking about the fire still, like the technology that the fire understands. Amber, you were talking about what, what we don't remember, you know, or the knowledge that we don't remember. Or maybe the knowledge that we hold somewhere in us that it's coming out through us in different ways. I think a lot of the knowledge that's in me comes out in stories like the Blackfish or in holding these fires. I don't know why I started holding these fires, but they're so, they've become very elemental to, to me, to my process. and we're thinking about the fire that used to be central like this and people came to it, 
the fire can still be held, the fire just has changed shape right now. And if we each hold that one flame, it's all part of that same fire. And so in a way we are, I mean, we are, we are physically gathering together through the technology of that fire. And it, in that way, in the separation of those flames, we're actually also enacting the visual of the constellatory. We are reflecting the stars above. We're like, you know, and so there's, there's a way in which we can step into these and hopefully transform through these learning moments, I guess. And um, that that's really interesting. I, I'm not sure why it makes me think of this, but um, in reading some of those old stories of uh, uh, the boner wars and some of the customs around um, those times, they would say like, it may, it brings to mind the significance of ash as a tool um, in in preparing for um, like things that you have to do like before you're gonna go out hunting before you're gonna go um, into battle before like uh, that belief in using what comes from the fire and that purification. Uh, to purify yourself and um, it's like after then after you hold that space together and the fire transforms then like that final step is taking the ash from that fire and using that as medicine for yourself too um, and I just when you were uh, speaking about that I just I was like I had this little vision of um putting my hands in the ash the white ash with like they used to use labrador up here and like they use sage and i was wishing i had some labrador to to burn in my car right now but <laughs> i'll get some and i'll burn it here for you right now okay <laughs> this is all that i have left because uh, i should send you some. and making tea yes please do <laughs> Emily, where did you collect the Labrador, Emily? Uh, this this might be a collection. So I, whenever I go home, I I I, I harvest some. Uh, sometimes my mom harvests and sends me some. Uh, when we were in Quinnahawk, uh, myself or Drew Muck uh, uh, harvested a lot, and I think some of that is mixed in here. And then also for then a cunning voice, uh, this fifteen-hour-long performance project. That we did in Chicago recently, we made our Labrador tea or our tundra tea or ayu, and um, because we needed to make so much, we ordered a bunch from Canada, from somebody who harvests in Canada and got a big bag of it. So I think this is kind of a mix of all of all of those. <laughs> and you know, speaking of fire, so I don't know. So I hope when or if Chuna sees this, um, uh, uh, that 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 they understand that I'm, I'm still in a process of learning this, of course, but when we were in Quinnahawk and Drew collected this, this ayu, this medicine, you know, we were all drinking the tea and then Chuna started talking about ayu as our medicine. And, and then he started talking about that it's the same word as the moment when a fire 
catches, like when the tinder catches. And he was, you know, he's a dancer, he's this famous dancer. And he was like, you know, when the fire, when it goes up like this, when the medicine starts to go up. So the medicine of this that we put in our bodies like this or with smoke and then the fire that goes up. I was, so I, I, st I think about, I, I want to learn more about this moment and about this word and about this medicine, but it's, yeah, I give him. You're, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just really struck by how both of you really bring medicine to the place where you work. And I'm thinking about the fact that Amber, you know, you're working in a hospital and what a, what a interesting kind of irony. Um, and indigenous artists working at a hospital during this time that were threatened by um, a pandemic where your, your village, you know, historically, you, you, you mentioned to me that you, your ancestors come from a village that was 90% wiped out by the Spanish flu in 1918. So um, there's the trauma of that memory. And then there's the work that needs to be done today. It's, it's really, um, I, I got this job for the, um, the purpose of holding space for an indigenous voice. This is, you know, I, I had a lot of other things I wanted to do with art, but I came home and took this position because so many of the positions that are filled at this hospital are filled by people from outside who don't know us and that changes the kind of care that we get so i'm trying to use art as a part of this job but i'm really um this is such a, a welcome conversation to be having i feel so supported in this conversation because it's been really uh, a big challenge out here during this pandemic to get leadership at the hospital I work at to make decisions based on what's best for our people and not based on like dollar signs and it's really challenging um, because what we stand to lose here in our elders is it's everything. It, all of all of those older language bearers and all of the things they're trying to teach, uh, like their grandkids and their kids, and there's still so much that we have to learn from them. And the cost of so the hospital is the biggest employer in this region um, by far, and they haven't sent uh, non-essential personnel home even still. They still haven't sent people home. I had to fight to get uh, the ability to actually keep working from home. Um, and a lot of people are really afraid to lose their jobs. Um, and understandably so, but it's like, you know, right now, trying to figure out how to use the skills that I have to make our leadership be leaders and listen. It's, um, it's a kind of heartbreak that I don't think I've ever experienced before. And 
it's like the drawing of the sea mother and she's drowning it's that's what it feels like it feels like I can't do the things that I know need to be done um and I'm trying to find ways to change that but the consequences are just so great it's it's so I think everybody collectively is having some kind of an experience like that right now uh, but anyway yeah I thank you and I, I want to ask you if you could articulate what you feel exactly needs to be done to us if we could just bear witness to that what I think we need, I think that the answer to the situation that we're in right now is carried in all of the indigenous ways of being that exist in this country and all over the world. There's, there's a pragmatism, particularly speaking from my own uh, cultural perspective, the pragmatism of Yupik people and the ability to adapt and the ability to adapt quickly, that's one of our biggest strengths. And I think that every, every group of people that has a connection to their ancestral lands and has like life ways around that land have all of those answers. Like this is how like navigate by looking to those people because old you know old Yupik style what we would be doing right now is we would you know shut down travel and we would help each other you know because that's what we always do we always help each other and I feel like if like the whole the whole collective kind of thing I see happening is I see people and communities that are doing well right now that are not having as severe consequences are the ones that are adapting using those kinds of methodologies like uh, and really focusing on um, teamwork and uh, letting go of some of these concepts of who's more valuable <laughs> based on some of these colonial ideas of value like I, I feel like the answer is in all of our old value systems you know like like take care of the elders first um those who can do right and those who can't do something else that's helpful even if it's just staying home right thank you Thank you. Emily, um, from what I gather from your posts and things that you shared, um, your art and your medicine are converging in new ways in New York right now. Um, it's knowledge that you're bringing from your background. And so what does, what is, what does that look like in New York right now? What is, what does that medicine look like? What does that healing look like in terms of what your um your uh work what you've been doing you've been helping people mm -hmm. tell us more about that um, i've been i've i've been delivering food um and 
and I, I'm, I think <laughs> I'm called to because I am healthy and I can, I can do that work and I can take that risk. And um, it's such a severe need here, everywhere, here right now. Um, and, and it, it helps, it helps me, it helps me to, to, to be helpful and it lifts my spirit when I, when I do that work. And, and it also helps me to, um, to see the broader, is it ecosystem that, <laughs> or see the broader scales of, of which we're living, delivering to elderly people and people with um, immune compromised themselves and low income folks and um, the, the it's it's like it's 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 this beautiful time actually because it's so um, it's such an intimate it's a very quick exchange we do a no contact delivery of course uh, but I'm I come into um, buildings and spaces that I otherwise uh, wouldn't be in or find myself in it's a challenge um, to see uh, some of these spaces, um, the, the, that protocol of a, of a knock on the door. And sometimes I've done delivery until 1030 at night. Usually it's in the morning, but sometimes if things aren't going well, you have to get the food out. So it has to keep going. Um, and there's so many hundreds of people doing all of this kind of work. But so this is just from my experience of it. But so I've, I've been learning how to, um, how to try to knock on the door loud enough that somebody inside who was older could hear, but also not in a scary way. So like how to knock on the door with like a, a firm sound, but also a rhythm that, that is more inviting. And, and then when to put my, my quiet voice into some kind of like announcing who I am and that I have food. And then you have to step back to give space. And then you have to come in to listen and hear if they heard and are coming. And so you're doing this dance on the other, on the opposite sides of the door and you have the food and then you have to step back as they open sometimes just a crack. And in that moment, I've realized like if, if I'm in the process of, of going to catch the elevator like this, that doesn't feel like a full exchange. I feel like I have to be there like this as that door opens a crack to say it's the food I have to, you know, and like that, that very intimate and like very um, wonderful exchange. And it's, it's so fast, but it's so, I think, really important. And some folks, I think that's really their only exchange outside of the door or the, the different deliveries that they're getting. Um, and it's, it's really teaching, it's teaching me a lot and I have to, I find that the ways I have to prepare for that work um, is is changing and uh, deepening with each week as it gets harder, um, and I'm, I'm I'm learning a lot mm. about that. And I guess I'm also thinking in terms of our 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 indigenous technologies and cosmologies, the way in which I feel like the kinships of preparedness or the kinships of um, knowledge and the kinships of, of um, inspiration how, how, I'm, how I'm seeing them like there are other people who, who were so much more prepared for this than me with their with the hand sanitizer and the wipes and things but like and then there are other people who are more prepared in it or understand have a different way of knowing what's happening and 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 the ways that we can share 
it's it's the opposite of the hoarding, right? And it's the opposite of the of that of that colonial and capital way of of of, of being. And and these are indigenous people and non-indigenous people who were like were creating or have created these kinships of of getting through this via those both like medicines or hand sanitizers or knowledge or inspiration. And um, I'm really relying on all of those kinships. Yeah. Cool. And hopefully being part of building them too. <laughs> I'm thinking about how you bring your um, dancer's heart and mind to your interactions, that you sustain your creative voice and expression of um, making in these processes and how, how much, how critical that is, you know, to know who you are, wherever you are, and to bring that authenticity to your interactions. That's, that's very inspiring. I, I can really see um, that dance in the way that you speak, the way that you move when you speak. It's very beautiful. You have a very graceful way of, like, like you have to move with your thoughts, kind of. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, we've had a, such a great conversation and we have a few more minutes and we have um, uh, some people who have joined us and I want to remind everybody that they could, um, they could share if they want to unmute their microphone and ask a question or if you're feeling that you'd rather um, type it into the sidebar under the chat feature, um, that's very much invited too. Are there any... Um, are there any questions that I've got? Question, yeah. yeah, thank you, um, Annette. I want to ask Amber about. I can see how difficult it must be with the hospital being the major employee employer in in Dillingham. That surprises me. But could this be an opportunity to introduce a new position in the hospital for traditional healing methods? Somebody you know, of Dillingham. I know Bethel Hospital has that program. And is there any exchange between Bethel Hospital and Dillingham Hospital? That's an excellent uh, thing for me to research. Uh, I do mostly tobacco. Um, but I think that that might be something that we might have to work up to here. I, I think Right now, it's like baby steps. Um, first, hopefully, we can. Uh, our our chief operating officer was recently let go because of all of this, um, all these things that I'm talking about. So, hopefully, we can get a really pragmatic and and really uh, enlightened uh, chief operating officer that will allow us to do some more of those things. But. <laughs> but that's a great idea. We definitely, I look to Bethel a lot uh, through the tobacco program because they have a lot of, um, they do a lot of innovating, innovative things in Bethel and definitely a lot of the information about um, ICMIC and some of the, um, some of the pamphlets that they design and the posters and their messaging is really powerful. So um, of course, that's where the answer is. That's a really good suggestion. Mm -hmm. Thank, thank I think, you. I think Rita 
you could just look to Rita um, Blumstein, right? Are you big grandma? She, I think she does some work via the Native Hospital in Anchorage too. So there must be some sort of system that they've created there to support that somehow. They could look into. And I think I think what you I think what you were just um, how you articulated that the needs of of rural and reservation areas and village and outbush areas coming up soon is going to be um, you know the the, the cities is it, what is going to to start to happen there like how yeah how do we how do we prepare for how do we help how do we um, um, change the course um, because we, we have we have to be thinking forward yeah we don't have a single functional ventilator for 28 communities we don't have one mm -hmm. so and they're not shutting down so yeah. it's i i definitely feel what you're saying and i'm definitely preparing myself for how this is most likely going to go. Uh, they say that we probably have our first case. It, it's not official yet, but they say that there's a case, they think, out at the hospital right now. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people just don't understand what what's coming. Mm -hmm. I, I empathize with that. I try to speak with my family about that because having experienced here, the, the those moments before we really understood it was here and then just a few like how life changes so fast and how I, I was trying to explain that to my family to to try to get their actions um to to uptick <laughs> a little bit um uh and 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 just to try to try to share what i experienced here uh so that so that they could make choices so that they could make strong and healthy choices before the officials were saying what to do, you know, which is too late by then. And Emily, you've, I mean, I know you've really thought about it, but you've made a decision to stay where you are as challenging as it is. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few places I could have, um, gone to and I just very much felt the need to stay here. And I don't, I mean, I guess, I, I guess that's another one of those things that I didn't necessarily question. I mean, I made sure that I could do that with what preparations I needed to do. But um, yeah, I just very much felt strongly like I needed to stay. Yeah. You need to stay. Would anybody else like uh, to um, offer a question, Rika? Could I just, um, Amber, I'm just feeling for you so much, um, a little bit behind the eight ball in that I didn't know that the decision has been made to go ahead with the fishery. And I thought that was still somewhat, I thought just a plan had been put forward, um, but I didn't know that it was okayed. And I just, I'm just, I cannot believe mm -hmm. that that is going to move forward. And I just want to 
express with the deepest part of my being how how I empathize. I'm, it's like watching a slow motion disaster movie moving forward. I, I don't understand how it can be. Um, and I just want to express my empathy to all of you um, in that. I wish there was something that I could do that could still be done. Is there anything? Well, I know that the tribe here, Dillingham is a hub community, so it's a little bit different how the tribe operates here, but I know that tribal leadership is really pushing to shut down the fishery. Um, I didn't know that a decision had officially been made, but I'm hoping that something happens that changes that because we all know that when the workforce comes here in the summer, people will say they're going to do things a certain way, but it's impossible to keep track of everyone. And it only takes one, it only takes one, you know? know. And so it's kind of, I, I didn't know that that had happened already. And um, I don't know either. I was assuming from what you just said, I, I'm really praying that something happens that prevents the fishing season from coming the way that it normally does, but I'm anticipating there's so much money at stake. I'm anticipating that the decision is going to be made based on money, like most decisions out here are made um, in spite of what we try to do, and I'm, I'm going to pray really hard that something actually changes and that good decisions are made for my people. But it's, I, I was seeing, I was looking at some of the comments online that people were sharing and it was like, things like, well, why don't we just relocate the natives for the fishing season so that we can, why don't we just, like the fishermen that come here from other places don't, a lot of them that come here don't have a connection to the people here. They come for like a month and they leave and they're out fishing and they don't in interact much with a lot of people and uh, they make a lot of money, you know, and there's, so I think that probably those people's, uh, the decision is going to be made based on what those people want to do probably instead of public health, uh, like we've been watching things like that happen for a long time. And I, I always hope that they'll change. And like every single time more of the same happens and I, I keep hoping for change, but I, I'm still trying to figure out what I can do. And like, instead of just feeling really defeated, like, even small things like I'm making masks for all the people that work at the grocery stores. I'm making masks for all of the elders that I know. Um, trying to send masks out as quickly as I can make them because I don't really know what else to do. And it's, yeah, it's a lot. My heart is with you, all of you, in the deepest way. 
Lately, I've been talking to fishermen, Bristol Bay fishers who um, are, you know, from our area that are really concerned about this. In fact, the two women who are slated to show at Benel in April, um, Katie Burris and Thori Monroe, are both fish in Bristol Bay in the summer, and they're deeply concerned about the fishery being open. So I know that that's actually going to be part of a, the conversation that uh, um, we'll have with them um, through this forum in the coming weeks as we continue to like look at how people who, who are directly involved could be speaking up and the importance of their voice standing in allyship with Indigenous people. It's, Asia, when you, when you let me know when that conversation is going to happen, because there's a, a family here that fishes in Bristol Bay, and then and they do a lot of the um, their market or restaurants here, and we're good friends. And um, yeah, it'd be good to get him involved in that too, because it's also spreading the word to places like here that can help share that this you know, and try to make that impact. Um, Absolutely, we'll we'll definitely share and post that probably. Um, in uh, early May, like around the first Thursday in May, when we would be typically opening um, a show, but instead we'll be looking at how we can share that work online and have that conversation through this kind of a format. Um, oh, I'm glad that you're going to be doing that. Uh, thank you for doing that. I think that there are a lot of good people that um, could have a really strong voice about how things how things happen you know yeah it's a time definitely to stand and to express that allyship with indigenous communities to help protect them we, we fish and cook inlets so we're not bristol bay but i support the ban on fishing on shore activities and i was wondering if one of my ideas has been maybe offshore processors and it's a huge amount of fish coming in in bristol bay but you could orchestrate something that that everybody that lives in Dillingham stays in their home, but you put the fishermen offshore. And I know the processors that are landbound, I mean, they just have to be creative and they'd have to um, put a money into this, but I think it's doable. But I, I think it's, uh, I think we all have a responsibility to block the opening of uh, Dillingham to, you know, infectious disease right now. Gosh, I can't, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah, I think it could be, if done right, right now, I'm not used to seeing things happen this way, but it could be a really big opportunity to mend some trust with, like you see that power of change happening on this magnified scale where people are either repairing or they're just like annihilating because when it matters, what are you going to do? And so many, like, people here seeing a decision be made for our health by people that are in, um, that have privilege, you know, is a powerful thing. And I think that that kind of reconciliation in times like this is even more powerful. So who knows what will happen, I guess. <laughs> I wanna thank you both so much for um, taking this time to connect with us and to elucidate some of the opportunities that are coming up. Um, 
next week, we'll be talking more about allyship um, when we talk with Ryan Conero and David Pettibone. Um, and I want to just um, thank also, you know, our listeners for sharing these really um, critical points of view that bring us to this point in the discussion, which is one of, um, of activism and the work that needs to be done today. So I'm going to um, close the meeting again with so much gratitude, but remind you that um, this forum is open and for ideas, um, for people to speak and questions, this is a place that I hope we can return next Thursday and for many after that. Thank you all so much. I wanna thank all of you so much, Emily and Amber. Truly, thank you. This was really, really important. Yeah, I echo that. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Asia. All uh, right. Thank all thank of you. you. Amber and everyone. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Well, and do your fire at 4 p.m. in Alaska. 8 okay. p.m. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I'll be with you. All right. <laughs> all right. Okay. Bye. Bye.